the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Janetti. Thursday afternoon, April 20th. We are one week away from the NFL draft. It is not an NFL show. It's a baseball show. We've been bouncing around quite a bit. A little NFL heavy through the month of April with some uh, extensions, some contract discussions. Certainly more to get to at Jalen Hurts. The numbers are not official as of yet, so we are yet to officially break those down. But uh, like I said, it's a baseball show. Cousin Dan is here. Notable notes are all free agent team for 2024. Some players to watch. Uh, a look at the leaders out of the gate here about a month in. Who's leading the top of the leaderboards? And uh, contractually speaking, what do those players look like? And award favorites. I think Dan's going to have a problem with a few of these. We'll see. Let's bring him in. Dan, welcome. Um, I want to start with this because it's a little messy and I want your thoughts. And it's not yet relevant to what we're doing, but it sort of is because, you know, come July and August, this is generally a team that's pretty damn active. What is going to happen with the Oakland Athletics right now? I mean, (laughs) I just spent an entire series watching them play the Mets. So I have an idea of who they are. I have an idea of what that ballpark, you know, looks like right now because the announcers for the Mets had to sit in a closet because there was a possum in the, in the away broadcast booth. So this was obviously just your thoughts on where this is headed. Obviously it's headed to Las Vegas. That's, you know, it's not even a secret anymore, but just your general thoughts on this franchise and you can extrapolate that into what this team's going to look like for the next six months and what it's going to mean for baseball and all that. Yeah, that's a lot mm-hmm. um, to sort. I mean, there's a lot, to, uh, there's a lot to sort through in general with this. Um, first of all, the move, I don't really know enough to speak on like the inner workings of the negotiations, but from smart people, people that I gather information from, um, mm-hmm. it certainly seems like, um, this was like predestined based on how the ownership handled this. Um, Some people think the politicians didn't negotiate in good faith, but whatever. I I don't really want to get into that because I don't know too much about it, but regardless, the, the the people who lose here are the fans, right? Obviously they are in purgatory here for a couple of years as they have to watch um, their team get ready to get moved out of town. Do you, you know, it's do the third you, team, Dan? Football, I, basketball, and now baseball. This is the third team this fan base has had to deal with. It's crazy. Exactly. So that that's where people will probably come in and say, argue that politically they let three teams leave. This is like a consistent theme. Um, so that's why I don't want to get too much into that. But regardless, as a fan, this is pretty gross because of just how it's all going to go down. How even down to how it was released in almost in the middle of the night, um, you know, with some other sports news in, in the media. So I I don't know, regardless, what do you do as a fan? Do you go support to see your team? I don't even want to call it supporting. Do you go nostalgically um, to like go watch your team in that city that you rooted for your whole life? Or do you put your feet in, uh, you know, do, do you dig your heels in and, and decide you're not going to support this ownership group? I don't know what, what's going to happen, but um, so let's shift a little bit to the on the field product. It's not much better in terms no. of how they've been operating this. Um, there is some talent, at least in the system. Finally, 
Um, I, I like some of the veterans they have in place just in terms of like veteran presence to maybe bring those guys along. Um, but in the same breath, it's hard to like really be convinced of any sort of direction that they might be headed because of how we've seen them operate in the past, mainly speaking, you know, anytime they have any sort of talented player on that, in that organization, it's two, three years and out as arbitration fee, you know, arbitration numbers increase as they approach free agency. So like even this core of players, some of, you know, some of these players that I actually do like, I'm really not sure that this is going to, kind of go go anywhere um you know in the future just based on and on how they operate now does that change once they move to las vegas i i don't know remains to be seen i would think they have to operate differently i don't think it's going to be oakland a's of of uh, nevada you know but um let me ask you this what, question i guess where let, do you think this yeah is let, well let's stay with the on-field um the roster a little bit here because obviously this is just it's a really easy team just to forget about because they sit at the bottom of the payroll list it's just but like i said generally speaking there's one or two names every trade deadline that pops up here i don't think that exists right now uh i guess you could talk me into trevor may if he's healthy by the way trevor may at seven million is the highest paid player in this team right now dan seven million is the highest salary Uh, i don't know i mean all these other leagues are doing everything possible to, to mitigate this exact scenario, right? We just got to make sure everybody's at least attempting to play on the same field. This is a, this is pathetic. <laughs> the, the setup man slash closer, right? And Trevor May is one of those things. He's not definitely one of those things. He's all of those things. At 7 million, being your highest paid player, it's just unacceptable. It, it is a complete lack of, of spending. It's a complete lack of effort to put a winning product on the, on the field. And there's really no two. It's not like this is Houston 2018 preparing for what could be a a, a deep postseason run with young. Not what this is, right? If, if let's just say Steve Cohen bought the Athletics tomorrow, could he turn this team into a contender in three years? Is there any kind of talent that they could bring along and then add veteran experience to and make it work? Or do you look at this franchise from all the way down to where we are at the major league level? And is it like a 10-year plan right now? I think an owner willing to spend could definitely turn it around. It's not a total dumpster fire. I mean, there's talent mm-hmm. in the system, but like with any team, can they develop it? Um, does it turn into major league you know, worthy talent? Is it sustainable? Who knows? And by the way, Trevor May, a lot of speculation, he was signed simply as a um, roster deadline flip that they would just bring him in immediately, make him the closer or a high leverage um, bullpen guy. And then at the deadline, somebody who that's always coveted, just flip him. So even the, even the 7 million they spent right there is sort of like to right. try and get a B prospect in three months from now, you know? So even that is kind of fake, like a hollow, a hollow signing in my opinion. So yeah, I, I to, to your point, if somebody came in, if they were dedicated towards moving this thing forward, I think somebody could get it there. It might take some time, but I mean, there, you know, some, some key, some key and strategic moves um, could at least get you into on the map, I think so. Okay, so moving to Vegas, and it's going to be three to four years, let's be honest about that. As you mentioned, it's going to be just basically like a shell of a baseball team in Oakland for a couple of seasons while this transition happens. 
not unlike the St. Louis Rams going to Los Angeles. Remember how that was so weird, but that was a good team. This is not a good team. So there's no reason for them to get better right now. This owner, from what I've read, and again, it's been two hours of reading on something that's going to last years before we get to the, the solution, but it sounds like this was about the stadium. There's a stadium, you know, uh, there's land and a stadium build available in Las Vegas. That's going to happen. But it seems like this ownership is going to retain the team with this move, Dan. Is that correct? Is that what you are, you're assessing as well? That's at least what I've heard. I wouldn't put it past them as yeah. like a, a flip once they get it to Las Vegas. Probably the, the, the value then catches up with some of the more middle to, to maybe. That's exactly how I'm reading it to you, Dan. That yeah, doesn't, so, doesn't moving the team immediately improve the value, which and then immediately would then probably spark some interest in this ownership, getting rid of it. I, I guess what I'm saying without saying it is how do we get this team better? And I don't think having this owner is going to be the answer, even no matter where they exist or have home games. You know what I mean? So I, I'm hoping that this is step one to a improved valuation on the franchise, which essentially leads to a sale, which gets us to an organization that can at least pay for some pitching and pay for some hitting because they're doing none of that right now. Yeah, I agree. That's why I think we, I would not put it past them that this organization for many years mm -hmm. has operated um, with the, with the bottom line in mind. So for them to kind of flip a switch and be different it, once they move, I'm not really sure about that. And um, I could see them just wanting to, to cash in uh, what mm -hmm. they were what they were able to pull off with this move. So <clears throat> I went to Oakland, the NBA, it sounds like with this, this next CBA, one of the things that just came out and I'm going to detail it with Keith Smith here, probably next week is you have to spend X amount of percentile in every single season. It's not like a multi-year you can, you know, finagle it up and down every year. You have to spend X percent. And if you don't spend it in a given year, and by the way, it has to be on the books to start the season. So it's not like you can limp into the off season, make a couple of trades or sign a player off the streets to a, an absurd salary, and then get yourself to the number that you need to get to by October 1st to sort of resurrect this rule. Basketball is basically saying your off season has to be potent enough so that you have a roster spending X percent of the, uh, of the apron of the of the luxury floor and if you're not there you you do not participate in revenue sharing for that season now that <laughs> is could be directly translated to major league baseball could it not because revenue sharing is what these small markets absolutely live for in fact i think it's specifically what the oakland athletics owner bases the the ownership on right it's why he's here because he knows he can he can pull down money from the big boys, spend a little bit here and there, sell some beer, throw a couple of hot dogs down some throats, do nothing with the stadium, literally nothing, and just you know sell traditional baseball to a fan base that wants anything right now, which is basically the, you know, the, that's the only game in town, unfortunately. So I, I would love to see something like that come to Major League Baseball. They didn't even get close to it in this latest, latest iteration of, of a CBA. So I just wanted to point that out there that. The richest leagues in sports right now are doing this with their poorest teams and their poorest teams are already spending. <laughs> so can you imagine if those executives had a look at what the, you know, what the Rays and what the, what the athletics have done over the past couple of seasons, uh, it'd be a hack job. It's never going to change though, is it?
baseball is just not strong enough. Yeah, and, and, and well, and everything is so intertwined, especially the pre-arb arbitration process that would yeah. need to really be re- reworked. Um, or else, right. I there's think nothing people- saying you can't have 26 pre-arb players. You're right. There's no rule against it. Right, and and just that those salaries, specifically arbitration, I guess that those are a little bit closer to free true free agent value rather than you know X percentage of mm. it. Um, while you know, so them making more while they're sort of producing more, if you will. Um, because I do think a salary, I think there are some unintended consequences. I know I've alluded to this previously, but mm-hmm. there are some unintended consequences of a salary floor. Um, where like in the NBA, you know, I don't know the inner workings of how the NBA works, but from my understanding, you know, the seventh or eighth guy on an NBA yeah. team could be making ten million dollars pretty easily. Where you know, I, I I think the unintended consequence here would be like the 20th best pitcher or the 10th best pitcher signing a free agent contract instead of it being um, three for 40, does it turn into five for a hundred then or something like that, where like those guys don't truly earn that. But at the same time, if they have been underpaid their whole career, do I really care if they're being overpaid later in their career? Not really, but like from a value production perspective, um, I think there's like a little bit of a ripple effect that we would see if we do like with the institution of some sort of salary floor, but um, kind of like what you said, I, any major, I, I think we would need some major, major changes to the salary structure of the league. And I just don't see it ever getting there just based on what you just said with the last, you know, that we just had a major um, almost work stoppage basically. And very little was changed uh, no. because of it. So I don't, I don't see a lot of movement. I always think of Chris Davis with the Orioles when you talk about things like that. That's exactly what happened, right? <laughs> exactly, right. And we see that in some other play. Like, I, I know I, like, Brandon Nimmo was a fine player. I know I alluded to it earlier, though. But, like, is was he in a vacuum? Is he worth the contract he just got? Or was it inflated because he's the only center fielder on the, mar- on the market last year? Um, you know, we might see that this year with some free agents that we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, you know, being prime guys at their position, even though it's, you know, we, we might kind of laugh that they're the top guy there, but, uh, regardless. Yeah. I think, I just don't, I think the issue is just the 1% of -hmm. the free agents in the 99% of the league. There's just such a disparity there, um, that it's going to be hard to kind of get them more towards the center there. So, all right, we're going to talk to free agency in just a couple of minutes here. I got one more bullet point for you here. Uh, literally breaking news, right? Madison Bumgarner DFA'd by the Arizona Diamondbacks. Something you told me was going to happen about 48 hours ago, because not even right. 24 hours ago, you were watching his last start. It was an absolute train wreck as his entire season. And most of last season has been, uh, you definitely saw this one coming. There's about 34 million and change left in this contract. Arizona's going to eat it all because nobody's going to claim this player on waivers and somebody's going to sign him back at the league minimum $720,000. I'll give you two uh, talking points here. Is he toast? And if the answer is kind of not, give me a couple of teams that this guy's going to fall on in the next couple of weeks here. Well, I personally think he's toast or as close to toast as you want to call it. Um, He's had a really phenomenal career. Mm -hmm. The game has seemed to sort of pass him by in a lot of ways. Um, People I trust and I listen to um, 
kind of allude to his unwillingness to change and adapt with the times um, as his skills have fallen off a little bit as he's aged, which happens with every player. We just see that the great ones seem to make adjustments. Um, you know, Corey Kluber player, we thought maybe fall fell off a cliff five years ago, four years ago. Um, we've seen him kind of sustain rework um, Clayton Kershaw, same thing, obviously a better example, maybe. Um, but regardless, he's made very few adjustments um, no new pitches, different pitch, uh, you know, shapes, work with driveline people. None, none of that has went on here. Um, he's been relatively stubborn about um, his role. I doubt he would have ever accepted like a bullpen role or being optioned or anything like not, not option, but like sent down to the minors in any kind of role. So will that, he that, now, though? Will he now? <laughs> No, I think he's. I think he's definitely going to hold out for a major league job, okay. any major league job. I, I even if it's with a non-contender, I I would assume that he's shopping for a major league job. But I guess to, it's a little to start too recent game. to know. I guess my question is, could he find his way in the Yankees bullpen? Whew. You know what I'd I mean? Be shocked. I'd be shocked, Mike. I, yeah. I I really would. But I, I guess it's possible that a, a contender comes to him and says, "Listen, we this is what we think of you." If you want to be realistic, this is how we would utilize you. Maybe, maybe he buys into that, but I don't know. But also, I don't know if I want Madison Bumgarner in uh, Yankee Stadium. But regardless, (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, it's tough. It's just tough. I I don't see. uh, I I guess just the overarching point here is I don't see a lot of promise that, like, if the Dodgers were to bring him in and rework a few things, um, that they're gonna. That's definitely one of the teams, though, right? Yeah, it could be. It could be, yeah. but I don't know. I don't know. I'm really curious to see how this plays out, um, which I kind of like joked about yesterday as he was getting absolutely torched um, in his last start there. I, I I, don't know what direction this goes. I wasn't convinced they were going to DFA him. I just kind of wanted to like see the public, um, you know, the, the public display of like how it played out, whether they went to him and said, you know, if he if it was a roto wire, uh, you know, news blurb, like Madison Baumgartner is extremely unhappy that he's like be, being demoted to the bullpen. You know, I wanted to see that play out selfishly, but um, just be, just because he's such a fiery dude, you know, he's, he's not scared to to speak his mind. So I thought that we might get a glimpse into it, but regardless <laughs> here, here, uh, here he is. I don't, so teams he goes to, I, like I said, I definitely think he lands I think he lands somewhere, even if it's like this is like the final ride. Man, I don't even know a team that like no team really jumps out at me. Yeah. Um. I mean, I know I'll you. Give joked, you yeah, I'll give you two. I'll give you two. The Mets have to be in because they're decimated right now. And even if it's we're going to take him in on the minimum for two months, you know, and we'll pay him sixty thousand dollars. That I, I think the Mets need it that badly right now with Carrasco out, with Quintana out, with I. I I'm positive now Max Scherzer is going to have a 10-game suspension, so that's even more. And Verlander's getting slow played back off this injury. So just to have a, an able body that you know might go out there and give up four runs a start, the Mets are in. There's no question. And I would put the Boston Red Sox in this conversation too. And you know why? Because they've already got three other players like Madison Bumgarner in their rotation, right? Why not add a fourth? Why not just you know bring in the experience and see if you can resurrect these guys for at least a couple of months here? So I... I think those two sense. It would take him going east. I know he's been west for a long, long time. So maybe geographically the Dodgers make a little bit more sense or the Angels to that regard. But um, I, I think your inflexibility stuff is interesting with him because I wonder how much of that actually comes out in the locker room. 
or comes out in, you know, pitching progressions and stuff like that, right? How is he a bit of a cancer to that to that roster right now, you think? And that's really the reason we're here, Dan, because this, it's a really promising young group of players in Arizona, as we've talked about. And I wonder if this isn't just about, you know, a 47 ERA, if this is, hey, he's his attitude is actually hampering our ability to be young and fun and exciting right now. And by the way, just speculation. I know absolutely nothing right. about that. About it. <laughs> right. I was just going to say the same thing. I mean, it's tough to allude to that. Could I see it be like with this core of young players, if there's negativity there, I could see them being ready to move on, especially since he gave them plenty of reason. This wasn't like a controversial move. I think a lot of um, mm -hmm. people who are following along saw this coming um, in some degree soon. So um yeah it, yeah, it it could definitely be in play without speculating on um you know the inner workings or or the atmosphere and what kind of teammate he is. I mean, I'm sure he probably like the there is some intangible to having a multi uh, world series winning pitcher there, but I mean, it's like we we see we see uh you know his personality come out at certain times and um it would I guess it wouldn't shock me if there's uh more to it. I'm just going to say what should be said out of the gate here. I, I'm, I'm positive I said it four years ago. This was a terrible signing from day one. What yep. the hell was Arizona thinking with this? He was a great pitcher when he left. He, he was, I should say this, he was a slightly declining but still great pitcher when he left San Francisco. San Francisco knew that, didn't want to overpay for him. Arizona certainly, you know, overpaid to bring him in. Why would you bring him in at all? Like, <laughs> they, were, they were four years, you know, away from being three years away at that point in time. They were, they were absolutely not even close to being a semblance of a roster, still making some of these draft picks that are about to come to fruition in the next 18 to 20 months here. So I, I just didn't understand it. It's like signing a starting quarterback and all five of your offensive linemen are about to hit free agency. You know what I mean? Like, what are we doing here? It doesn't make any sense. So uh, I, I said it then. This is just three years of awkwardness in my opinion and a hell of a lot of money paid out uh to get to where we are today so if he's frustrated I, it's kind of his fault for signing there in my opinion now he's got you know a ton of money in, in his pocket because of it but i think there were definitely better homes for him in 2020 when this thing all went down but i'm not going to tell somebody not to go out and make 85 million dollars no question about that yeah, you're not wrong. Him leaving San Francisco, he still was looked at as a pretty premier pitcher. Right. I think the extra stuff was on the trajectory that people were like, the cliff is coming, it's coming. And then it hit pretty hard his first year in Arizona. Um, he I, was pretty atrocious. I, I guess Go this, ahead. though, Dan. Let me, let, me, let me just throw this at you. 16 to 18 million a year, right? Like five for 80s around that. Uh, Robbie Ray got a little bit more because he, he peaked at the right time. But my point is, that's kind of where Bumgarner was after 2019. He was in that camp, kind of like a tier two, slowly sliding towards tier three pitcher in this game, which is still valuable, right? There were still 15 million plus to, uh, available to him out there from good teams, right? So when, when I say that he, he got overpaid a little bit, my thinking truly is there was probably a really good team offering him five for 60 or five for 70, maybe even five for 75. And he took a couple million more, you know, to join an Arizona team where he was just going to be swallowed up as a veteran pitcher and kind of the grandfather on the roster. It was weird. So I, I just, I didn't understand that part of it, right? It's it, the Arizona Diamondbacks certainly weren't his only offer. There, there had to be 
six to seven teams out there at least sniffing around him contractually speaking. So I, I just think uh, we see too many of this, right? The, Carlos Rodon held out, even though, you know, he had a dozen offers. He held out and took a little bit less money to join the Yankees. We see it every year. I'm blaming both sides here, I guess is my point. And you're right, though. There was, the writing was definitely on the wall that this was coming. Yeah, I guess I say that mostly with the thought, you know, he, he entered that almost with 2,000, having pitched 2,000 innings. Right. So, like, it, it, he was 30, tons of wear. Joined the league in 19. He got called up as a 19-year-old in San Francisco. Exactly. So that that's my point here is that like there was there was almost nothing that signaled this is like a premier signing. But I I think like certain organizations with maybe not the right pieces in place were probably interested and just looked at like this is like a front end starter who can give us close to 200 innings for the next couple of years. And it literally immediately fell off the rail. So it, it, it looked bad from the start and it maintained throughout. And this is going to be kind of like a benchmark contract. We look at with some of these aging veterans, mm. um, I think in the future here. So, yeah, no question about it. All right, let's go rapid fire. You ready? <clears throat> FanDuel has their player award odds out, obviously, because it's, you know, a day in the baseball season. I just want you to stop me when you hear a name that you would not bet. Now, all these are all favorites, so the odds aren't going to be great on any of these players, but these are the top two MVP candidates, right? Acuna, Alonzo, all good? Yeah. Otani and Trout, fascinating, by the way, that they lead the, lead the AL right now in MVP. All good? <clears throat> um, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the Otani thing is obvious. Trout... Um... Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say he's not an MVP type player anymore. I I wonder if like isn't it, isn't like, it kind of trending in that direction though? It, well, that I I guess I look at like counting like just sheer counting stats and steals mm-hmm. and number. I like I don't know if that will be there at the end of the year, but I'm not going to I'm not I'm not going to waste any more time talking against Mike Trout. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> On the air, uh, yeah. Cy Young, Spencer Strider, and Julio Urias. Yep. Yeah, I'm good there. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Garrett Cole and Shohei Otani. Is Otani as a pitcher a Cy Young candidate? Yeah, I'd say so. I There might be some other guys I want to get involved in that conversation, mm-hmm. maybe around or before him. But yeah, I, 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 I like the Otani stuff is definitely. Some, like, how do I put this stuff? Stuff that he wouldn't be favored for. His name is probably included in this stuff because he's just such a pop, popular and polarizing player. So and because um, it's his year, free agency's coming. Yeah, everybody. The juice is all over him right now, right? Yeah, his name will be on everything you look at, whether it's betting, um, predictions, anything, anything. He's going to be snuck into. So yeah, for sure. <clears throat> Much lead dogs. That's where it's going, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. Home run champ. Would you bet one of these three to have the most home runs at the end of the year? Aaron Judge, Pete Alonso, and Matt Olson. Or, or do you think somebody comes out of nowhere here? I mean, just off the top of my head, the only other person um, I'd probably throw in is Jordan Alvarez, just because right. he's the most terrifying hitter. In I think he's maybe the most intimidating hitter in all of baseball. Um, What is my measurement for that? I don't really have one, but (laughs) nonetheless, nonetheless. Yeah. um, Yeah. I, I would throw him in that conversation. Otherwise. Yeah. Good with that as well. Okay. 
couple of names that are pending free agents. Let's get to it. We've got our uh, all free agency roster for 2024 kind of put in place right now. Um, <clears throat> this was sort of off the top of our head, but there's certainly some statistics now behind it that at least help us get here, especially with relievers, which is always a bit of a crapshoot. Um, it could be a pretty nice year for starting pitchers again. You know, we're, we're seeing two or three really nice names get there for one reason or another. Um, obviously, Otani is going to be at the top of every list, no matter what, unless an extension happens. And I'm not, I'm not counting that out. Um, but Urias for the Dodgers and Aaron Nola, who's banged up with Philly. And that Philly's team is as bad as you thought they were going to be, by the way. They're going to struggle to hit 500 this year, um, which is probably even more reason for Nola to hit the open market. Those are unquestionably the top three outside of Max Scherzer punting on his player option, which I don't know. I, I, I guess there's a world where that happens. It, it, just talk me through these starting pitchers here, Dan. Um, just in terms of them being available. Uh, you can leave Otani out of it because we just, it's just impossible to think about him financially with, you know, in, in comparison to some of these players, but do we have, do we have a, a $200 million pitcher sitting here? on this list I, off the top of my head. I think uh, Urias and Aaron Nola both could definitely get in that. Uh, you know, if Nola is uh, okay. healthy, I think for sure. I think, I, I think Urias no doubt clears that. Okay. So we're talking um, like a Garrett Cole type contract then. Yeah, possibly. I mean, the age is right. The, uh, I think there are a lot of extra things there that he he could climb over 200. I, I think he's somebody's ace at the end of the day. Is that is that a fair assessment? He's sort of been, you know, the guy behind the guy in, in L.A. for a while. He knows that he feels that way. He wants to be paid as an ace, right? <clears throat> I, yeah, definitely. Like this, I, I had said this in our, pre, in our uh, preseason predictions. He was one of my favorite guys going into this as like the – the dude who was going to get a contract, but just could explode this year. And mm. a lot of that is um, just contextually speaking, the Dodgers lost um, Walker Bueller. Clayton Kershaw is, you know, around 150 inning max type guy this year. They were, they were going to, they were already going to rely on guys like Michael Pepio, um, Michael Grove, like some young guys that are not even on the 40 man roster yet. Bobby Miller, so, you know, high end prospects like that. Like, they have good talented arms there, but they really don't have a glue guy that just keeps it all together. And in the past, Urias has been a guy that like Dave Roberts has sort of played games with five innings. He's at 72 pitches. Why is he getting pulled right now? Well, because they have a stone, a stone cold bullpen. That was why. Well, now their pitching strength is a little bit carved out, you know, carved away here with, with some of these recent injuries and circumstantial things that have happened that they really were going to, they needed to lean on him coming into the year. We've seen it happen. His strikeout rates. Um, he was really never like a, a strikeout and inning type guy. Um, previously he hovered around there, but never really cleared it. Um, he's, he's sort of getting more into the elite territory now. Um, th this is like my prime guy that could just mm. like, stone cold explode and get paid in uh, this upcoming off season. In my opinion, I think he is the number one pitcher on the market beyond Otani. That that's my two cents. I mean, Aaron Nola is Aaron Nola. I think there's some greater injury concern there that if you just put those two side by side, I would pick Julio Urias, but that's, that's just me. So I, I listened to the argument on the other side. 
And there's an age difference, three years age difference between those two. So that makes sense. Right. Marcus, that, that's what I mean. When you yeah. look at all of like all of the pieces are like a, a plus for, for Julio. Another like all of them are mm-hmm. there's very few things like detractors that I would say I don't I don't buy into him. So, yeah. How about a, how about a player about to hit free agency after four arbitration years under 27 years old? That is kind of a dream scenario for every single franchise out there, right? So if this guy stays healthy, you're right. He's going to max out. Um, Marcus Stroman is essentially the most efficient pitcher in the game right now somehow for, you know, for a couple of weeks at least. The player opt-out seems inevitable at this point, even though Chicago is kind of humming here, right? Yeah, I almost don't see how he doesn't opt-out. Yeah, I mean... Not much more needs to be said. I mean, I feel like he did this in his final year with the Mets, which got him this contract with the Cubs. He was just like, he was really good his rookie year in Toronto. Then he had a couple minneling years where everyone just like wanted to, to see the talent that we had seen in prior years, but it never really came through. Um, and then it, like, he kind of had just like an explosion year. His final year with the Mets gets this contract with the Cubs. Yeah. Um, didn't have the best year last year, but then again, we see in a potential contract year that he explodes a little bit here. Um, I mean, either way, it's not a huge deal because he would just get back on the market the following year. It's not like a multi-year opt-out. But, well, um, yes and no, Dan. I mean, he's it's a it's a twenty-one million dollar player option next year, which is four million less than he's making this year. So, you know, I, I don't think anybody in the world expects him to take a pay cut. Except, we just don't really have a precedence for thirty-one, thirty-two-year-old starting pitchers re-upping at a good price, right? I mean, Hunjing Ryu got twenty million a year, four for eighty, to join Toronto. I don't think they've they're happy with that price tag now. Looking back, you know, on his injury situation, Avaldi yeah, has got a couple of seventeen million dollar per year contracts in his thirties, and and he's been kind of tossed around on them. I, I I just don't. I think if the expectation is I'm going to get more per year, that's wrong. This is about opting out to get a multi year guarantee, right? So it might look like it might be eighteen million a year for Stroman over three four seasons, and when you talk about you know sixty million guaranteed, that's the right that's the right approach. Coach, but you know, if you're looking at his opt out and saying why is he opting out of a 25, 24 million dollar per year contract, it's because he needs multi year security, not just one for 21. So I, I just wanted to get that out there that especially with pitchers in their 30s, and we just had the bump the bum gunner conversation, right? Uh, you're just not seeing those kind of contracts hit, with the exception of Max Scherzer. Is Max Scherzer going to opt out of one for 43.3, Dan? Is there another multi year contract in his future, or is he year to year from here out? Honestly, I, I, I don't even know how to value these players. So anymore. These historically, player options typically don't get picked up because the player has right. many avenues to increase their value on their next contract. This is one where I think his one his single year value is so high, and if he does have lingering um, injury issues this year, where he doesn't put put in a full season. Um, and coupled with the fact that the Mets are a contender, he might just want to he might just want to run it back again with the Mets next year. So he's all like I think what we're trying to say is the grass if the grass is greener somewhere else, it's not that much greener at this point in his career and just at the at, at the the depth that he's swimming in of the depth of the market that he's swimming in at forty three million dollars a year. Um, I this is one I I think initially my gut reaction today is that he picks it up and returns to the Mets. That's my that's my two cents. Knowing that if he puts yet another good year uh, up with the Mets, he's going to have forty million a one year forty million dollar contract in in twenty twenty five. I would think you know. 
Do you agree or is? Yeah. How can you not? I mean, yeah, the guys had some back issues. It's starting to get a little scary with that. But uh, he's been the same old player here. Uh, everything you can expect from an age and, and the, the work that he's put in, the workload that he's put in, he just kind of seems LeBron James in that expect. And, you know, it just doesn't seem to be deteriorating nearly at the pace that everybody else is in the league. Um, I'd love to see that average salary come down a little bit from Mets' perspective. But, I, you know, here's my best case scenario. And it's, it's a total fanboy discussion here, right? Max Scherzer comes to the Mets and says, look, I, I think I might have two years, but you're going to have to slow play me a little bit. I'm starting to feel the back is starting to give out a little bit. I, I want to play two more seasons and then I want to hang it up. And they decline the player option together and they put together like a two for 60 or a two for 55 or something like that that guarantees him, you know, 15 to 20 million more than he's got right now on the books for next year. And basically, Steve Cohen says, look, it, 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 you're helping us out in the tax by doing this. And in turn, if you can't run it back in 2025, we're just going to pay the money to, to be an ambassador of the team or something like that. You know what I mean? So like a, a quid pro quo, like, uh, you know, I scratch your back, you scratch my back kind of stuff. Now, I don't think that's Max Scherzer's style at all. I'm with you. I think he sees the end of the contract coming up. He wants... It, it's not even about the price tag. It's, it's a pride thing, right? It's, I think I can still play. So I'm, I'm going to run this contract out. If somebody wants to pay me another one-year contract, I'm going to run that contract out. I just think that's how he's built. But the Mets fan of me certainly wants uh, both sides to play a little ball here. Just uh, that's probably wishful thinking. Do we even talk about this bullpen, Dan? Um, I, I, I feel like you like some of these names. I, I just feel like I've got nine players here, and I feel like by the by June first, half of these guys are going to be either injured or not even in their current role with their team right now. It's just how it works, right? I guess haters we're talking about. He's been hater. He's been Josh Hater of old. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really want to be categorized as liking a lot of these names, just for the record. <laughs> um, <laughs> Josh Hader is, yes, yes. Josh Hader looks like the Josh Hader of old. Last year, he really struggled uh, with the transition to San Diego. Um, the velocity, uh, the spin stuff, like all of that followed that too. He, he was legit bad in San Diego. He lost the closer job at a certain point um, and, and just muffed a bunch of saves down the stretch for that team. Um, regardless, he looks incredible again this year. Um, I have to assume unless something really changes down the stretch here, he's going to command a pretty nice – um, contract, maybe not in length, but in at least in term, I would think somebody wants to pay him um, pretty handsomely to be a closer. We're seeing what much lesser, ta- much lesser talents are getting paid to close. Um, so I think Hader would be right there. Um, David Robertson is a guy I don't mind um, as like a high leverage guy. I think he's miscast a little bit as the Mets closer, but we all know why that is the case. It's not like they paid him to be the Mets closer. Um, They kind of brought, he's actually serving the role that they brought him in to be. um, The backup closer. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And high leverage if Edwin Diaz um, was healthy. So um, beyond that, I mean, my favorite name on here is probably Wandy Peralta, who was just kind of mowing guys down. His, his early numbers um, really look great for, for the Yankees. Um, beyond that, I mean, like, I don't really want to go to bat for anyone. Michael Fulmer, I will give credit, has sort of resurrected his career now. As the, yeah. It's hard to say that through three weeks, resurrected his career. But 
Um, he's looked good as a closer in Chicago. Um, you know, beyond that, these guys are just kind of arms. Real arms quick on Hater. Um, just kind of running through his, his arbitration numbers, right? Something we can do now percent-wise. It, it seems like the floor is about 18 for Hater. 18 million per year, which is Liam Hendricks, which is a couple of closers. I think Kimbrell got around there at some point in time on his second last contract. Um, Diaz is at 20 and change now. This 14-1 in his, in his final year of arbitration, this the salary that he agreed to this past season, uh, it, it, it pushes him past Diaz's valuation. Is that where you think this is headed? Has Hader done enough? I know he had that fall off, but I, I think the you know 75% of this resume is probably best closer in baseball still, right? Yeah, I, I, I definitely think so. And I, 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 we should probably at least point out that earlier in his career, he wasn't the stone cold closer there when they had Corey Knable, he was more of a high leverage guy. So the saves aren't attached with that, which might kind of, um, Mm -hmm you know, lower his ceiling in our system, like the, from a projection standpoint in our, our system and other systems that try and project uh, arbitration salaries. Um, so yeah, we call it 14. It, it, it theoretically could be, could have been higher if he was a closer his entire career. So yeah, I agree with you. I, like we don't really cl- bona fide closers are sort of like a, Thing, like a dying breed, if you will. And I still think they are coveted enough that he should command a pretty good contract and it will probably be in the range of Diaz. I don't really know if I, I think he clears that number per se, but it's it's right there. If not, um, yeah, just that's, fair. Lower, that's fair enough. Uh, let's run through this roster quickly here because I don't think there's too much to say about most of these players. Our catchers are Yasmani Grandel. I've got Mitch Garver in there as well. He's having a nice start, though. He's banged up with Texas. That Texas team is funky, as you and I have talked about. And I think uh, average players can start to look above average when you start to put, you know, the, the nine players around them on, an, on a daily basis. So that's what's happening there. Uh, Reese, Reese Hoskins, first base. That's the best available first baseman. We both agreed on it. He's going to miss the entire season with a nasty knee injury. What, what's that going to be like? Is he going to come back on the qualifying author or something like that, Dan? Good question. I, yeah, actually, I don't know. I didn't think about that necessarily. I wonder with how much money they have invested there in Philly, if they want to, if they want to spend that much on a first baseman coming off of an injury like that. Um, I guess this, this sort of speaks to the lack of talent elsewhere that that would be available at first base, in my opinion, um, rather than just like, He's the bona fide guy that you got to have, but at least coming off of a a pretty significant knee injury should in theory be um, a little bit easier for a guy who plays first slash DH. So that's kind of why I, um, why we included him here. Um, Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I think he's the number one guy. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And I think he is, you know, historically he's a pretty set, you know, set it and forget it 30 and 80 type hitter in the middle of your order, which I think is going to be valuable. And there's not anything even close to that. Um, on the I guess market, the way I look so. at it is it's not like the Phillies can tank. They can't rip it up. I mean, they're, no, they went, no. they went as big this year as they did last, you know, the last two off seasons with Dombrowski at the helm. So I think if you can get Hoskins back on the qualifying offer, which should be about 20 and change this year, it's probably, it might be a good for both sides situation. You know, it gives him time to slow play back that, that knee injury, uh, when he's available, he can go back out there and try to establish himself in that lineup, which he certainly has had success in. So that, that's my initial prediction on what happens there. 
Uh, Whit Merrifield's going to opt out in Toronto. My God, there's so many great names with, associated with Toronto right now that need a contract. Uh, you know, most of them aren't even up for free agency here. We got Merrifield and certainly Matt Chapman to get to. And I've even got Jordan Romano down on this list here coming up here. Maybe the best closer in baseball. So let's start 2023. He's going to need a contract in a year and a half or so. Uh, Toronto's not going to be able to pay everybody. It's not a, you know, it's not a small market, but they have never acted like one of the biggest markets in the game either. But they've got enough talent right now, Dan, where if they wanted to overextend themselves, they could keep this thing at least 95% together for quite a, quite a while. Do you see Merrifield in their conversation? Or do you think this is just, uh, I, I'm probably the best available second baseman. I'm going to go find uh, you know, a little bit more money, if, if not as uh, a greater roster to have around me. I'd be shocked if they bring him back, not okay. be, because of role, just repeat replacement level and the price, et cetera. You know, they have a defensive second baseman in the system already, uh, Santiago Espinal, who could just fill that role pretty easily, I think. So, yeah, Merrifield probably just gets a contract because he's probably the best second baseman on the market. Pretty, pretty cut and dry. Yeah. Ahmed Rosario's, uh, Unarguably the best shortstop available here, if you, unless you want to count Javi Baez as a potential opt-out in Detroit. I think that's financially crazy on his from his standpoint. He couldn't have a more sour label attached to him right now in the, in the game. But it's early. There's plenty of time for him to resurrect that whole situation. Uh, would you be shocked if Rosario is a guardian August 1st? This is maybe the toughest one. Cleveland guy I don't know what to do with because he's apparently very highly thought of um, by the organization and in the locker room um, very close with Jose Ramirez and some other players um, he's had a consistent role atop the lineup Tito speaks highly of like his bat in the lineup so and and when um, the Trevor Steffen uh, extension got announced and the Andres Jimenez extension got announced there were there were some mm -hmm. rumblings that he was on that list for possible extensions as well, which sort of baffled me, knowing that there is a ton of middle infield talent in the Cleveland system um, that is essentially ma major league ready or close to it. So to hear them trying to extend that player, I'm not a hundred percent convinced of it, but um, yeah, I, I mean he's I think he's done enough in a slim shortstop market to to probably get a pretty good contract as one of or the best name on the market um on the upcoming market right i, I it sounds kind of gross to say after the last couple of years of shortstops we've had available but um i i think there's a little gamesmanship in, in what cleveland was doing there right you, you yeah, want to make it sound like you're trying to keep the guy so that you know the, the the poachers who come looking for him in the middle of july on the trade block at least have it in their mind that that there's a a want internally here at some point in time even if i think you're right that this probably could have happened this past winter and nobody would have batted an eye too bad too much about it um i think he's moved i think the jimenez contract says that out loud uh they're just trying to save a little value is all they're trying to do they're not negotiating through twitter like so many freaking other teams are doing now which is just baffling to me Matt Chapman, Brandon, Dan. Go ahead, I will. I just will say real quick if they do resign ahmed rosario extend him watch out for a big trade because they have a bunch of middle infield talent mm. that it, like I just said, major league ready. They it's got to get consolidated at some point or it's just going to expire. Um, and I, look, I, and look, if they're seeking starting pitching, that's the way to go, right? You don't, you don't trade the expiring arbitration contract. You trade two of the, the pre-arb prospects who have yet to hit the 40 men who, you know, you know, have a ton of upside and ceiling. That's where you get your big arms back. Right. 
Right. And I don't even know the, I don't even have a name because it's probably a name. No, no one's even considering at this point, because we know Cleveland would, if they're, if they're going to go that route, they would look ideally for someone with term left on their contract, not too mm-hmm. high of arbitration numbers. Um, that's kind of like, a, you know, those can be unique players, but I, I'm just speculating at this point. I'm just saying though, if they lock up uh, Andres Jimenez and Rosario and still have all that talent in, one of the better systems in the league. Um, it's got to go somewhere in my opinion. And I would watch out for um, probably like a big corner outfield type or big starting pitcher or a dynamic reliever. So I like it. Matt Chapman, uh, one of those big gigantic bats. In fact, atop the batting title right now in the American league, something we didn't see coming. I can tell you that right now. More, he's been mostly a power guy and a huge defensive stalwart at third base. He's putting it all together right now in a contract year on a really good Toronto team. This has got to be a player Toronto wants to keep, but with this free agency, with some of these names we're talking about here, there's not many right superstar names out there. This is probably one of the top three position players about about ready to hit this open market, right? Can Toronto actually get this done, Dan? I sort of hope so, just from a fan of <clears throat> watching that team. But I, I, man, I don't know. It's a good point. Like they they've got to pick and choose. Um, yeah. They've got some big money committed to pitchers. Um, you got some pending extensions which we've talked about with Vlad maybe Bichette um etc so I I don't know I think they I so I I know you alluded you had mentioned they've never really played like a big market team they are a big market team in my opinion and they will pony up when when the time is right and they know they need to do that in order to spend and contend with the likes of the Yankees and the Red Sox specifically um so I do think they that's a smart organization and they will dedicate it towards the right people. Now, maybe, maybe they identify like, let's just like, like role play this. Maybe they identify that bull Bichette is long-term going to have to switch to second base. They don't want to value him as a shortstop. His numbers have been very good to this thus point in his career. Maybe they pick him as the guy that they're like, okay, well, we're, we're going to move on from him and we have other options and can do this, make a trade mm. and re- maybe it's something like that where they do identify one of those guys that we're not really um, thinking of right now. But I mean, I, I really, I'm not counting on that. I think they lock up Bichette. I think they lock up Vlad and they just continue to maneuver, um, you know, uh, around a little bit there. But yeah, I think we've never really seen them spend like that. I think it's within their range and they will do it in the right circumstance. And I think this is the circumstance we can see them do it. I like it. I, I, I like believing that they can do all of it, right? We've been to Toronto a lot. We live in proximity. This is this is not a small city, Dan. This is a massive, massive conglomerate commercial business city, right? This There's money in the banana stand, a lot of banana stands in Toronto, and, and one of them has to be involved in the sports industry, which, look, they've been trying for an NFL team. There's a ton. There's a huge soccer market there. There's obviously a huge hockey market there. There's a hell of a lot going on, and the Blue Jays have been sort of, I don't know, up and down, right? Up and down, up and down, up and down gradually, as you kind of see with the mid-level markets like we're talking about here. But I, I don't think you're wrong in saying that whenever somebody tells them this is the time, they absolutely have the resources to do it. It's just a matter of pushing the button. And I think I think they're as close as they've ever been right now with the pitching staff they have, with the closer they have, and with these bats that are all clearly gelling together. Matt Chapman, and you've talked about some of his advanced stuff offline here, He's never looked this good. He's never looked this efficient. He's never looked this disciplined. And he's putting it all together. He, he knows that. His agent knows that, right? So when it comes time to 
25 million a year versus 21 million a year, right? Which might be the Diamondbacks versus the Blue Jays offer at the end of the day. You know, is he going to recreate himself in Arizona the same way? Probably not. So I think there's something to that. They, I like the idea of Toronto going all in. There's, they're one of the teams, and I know you've already been doing it. I think everybody should be watching right now. I think they are fun. They are enigmatic. They kind of, not that you follow it at all, but they're kind of the Sacramento Kings, right? Of Major League Baseball. There's a lot of youth. There's a lot of talent. They play really exciting baseball. And I think that's going to translate, especially come September and October when people actually give a shit about this sport. Yeah. The, the just, I, I think part of the reason I'm, I mean, they're young and exciting, obviously. I loved the finesse of the moves that they mm. made this offseason, too, right? You move, it, it, move Gurriel. Yeah. Right. So you move um you move Guriel in a deal. You move Springer away from center field because of injury uh injury concerns. You bring in two guys who can play center field in Kiermeyer and Varsho, um, who was at Varsho obviously coming over in the in the Guriel deal. Um I think yeah. the Teoscar Hernandez for Eric Swanson swap was a very underrated move. Um mm-hmm. Swanson, one of the better setup um relievers in the league. Um Teoscar Hernandez in exactly the kind of guy that a year ago we were looking at saying, look at all these guys they got to pay. And he's, he's a guy they removed from the equation. Um, yeah. There's concerns about his bat long-term. He's a bona fide power guy, but um, going into his final year of arbitration, they were going to have to pay him or, or move on at some point here. Um, I really liked that flip. They added left-handed bats, which was kind of like their, um, their Achilles heel last year. I just, I think the pieces all fit together. They're in a window. They have four very legit starting pitchers. Um, with like Hunjin or uh, sorry, um, Kikuchi, who's had a really nice bounce back here. You have Nate Pearson in the minor leagues, who's been just lighting it up down there. So you have six, six good, at least six good starters um, with room to add. You know, at the deadline, we we there's a bunch of guys that will be available. Um, a really nice young offense that fits together well. I can't stress that enough. They added left-handed bats. Um, move their outfield pieces around. I, I I just I really like what they have done with this roster, which is why I'm I I want to root for them as an exciting team, and just because I really like how they constructed this team, and I wanted to work for them. So, okay, I'll post this entire uh, free agent roster on spotdirect.com after this piece. I want to talk about one outfielder before we go. Uh, Harrison Bader. He really hasn't made his 2023 appearance yet, right? Uh, and the Yankees are starting to get banged up like they do, like they tend to do after a couple of weeks, right? Uh, Stanton's going to be a month and a half or so. Uh, Severino and Rodon are both trying to get back, but I think I read today slight setbacks with both, so they might have to slow play that process. It's just, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like a broken record. And I think when Bader comes back, you'll see a lot more jump in that lineup, even though they've been, they've been good. I'm, I'm not trying to knock the Yankees as, as they've had a good start, and Judge has been Judge, and, and Cole has been Cole. This is the future guy, though, right? I mean, this is the next big contract the Yankees are going to put out there, right? Harrison Bader, center fielder for the next maybe six to eight seasons. Who really? Wow, wow! Dan, it's um, happening. Do you have you watched any broadcasts? Uh, no, actually, I don't really get Yankee stuff here, they're, but they're pretty out loud about this is the guy, and it's really more about how the hell do we get Aaron Hicks off this roster versus how do we retain Harrison Bader. <laughs> well, it actually makes sense. I, I, I'm not shocked at, at like the thought process of it, yeah. I guess, because like they, they did, they moved Jordan Montgomery for him. That was a big piece. We, we heard, or I mean, we've talked at length about mm-hmm. 
how poor we think of a move that was in hindsight, but for a year and a half of Harrison Bader, he did add a lot to that offense last year. Um, as soon as he went down in the preseason, we were kind of looking around like really Aaron Hicks is the next man up again. We're going to do this again. Um, so yeah, I agree. He, he is obviously, he's an impact player um, and has a big role in that lineup. So I guess I, I could see, it. and he's kind of the Brandon Nimmo of this upcoming uh, free agent here where he's the center fielder and there's not too much beyond it unless uh, tri- uh, Tyler O'Neill is, uh, is on the trade market or something like that. So. Can I just make one more statement? Um, because it, it's kind of a nice bow on this whole conversation. We, we, we've talked a lot about the, the rule changes over the past six months or so on the show, Dan. And uh, I don't want to go back down that rabbit hole too deep here, but I, I've watched a lot of baseball. I know you have too. The, the speed conversation that we talked about with the disengagement rule, with the bigger bases, with all you know, the, the clocks, the advantages that hitters and base runners were, we thought were going to have. And while the numbers really weren't there in the minor leagues, we thought that at the major league level, there was going to be an impact. Are you with me that it's been a gigantic impact? <laughs> that in four weeks, it, it has come immediately to fruition? Yeah, for the vast majority of the changes, I would say so. In the 80s and the mid-2000s? Yeah. Yeah, I would I I definitely think there's been a big impact thus far. Um I think I think maybe the shift stuff has been the the less impactful like the least impactful which has been a little bit more surprising to me. Um but definitely the stolen base stuff has been really Huge. exciting to watch. So doesn't yeah. a player like Harrison Bader even become more valuable now? Yeah, I, exactly. I mean, he was still he was stealing 20 bases when the rules were against him. So I I think you put this guy over the next three to four years, even if that's all he can give you through age 32, I, I think he's going to maximize his skill set in this current rule set. So I, I just don't think there's any reason why the Yankees don't pay him and keep him around for the long haul, uh, you know, outside of them having to overextend for a player like Otani, which I don't quite think they're in the market for, but I could be wrong. Anything else? Is there a team we should have talked about today that maybe next time we should get to? Toronto was on my on my list for sure. And Oakland obviously, you know, put themselves on this list. Is there a team out there that that maybe we should be considering for the next couple of weeks? Are the Angels for real, Dan? Are we going to fall down this freaking rabbit hole again with the Angels? I mean, I still don't buy it. I mean, No, me neither. Not for the long through, haul. One through four is maybe the best in baseball, but beyond that, it gets real thin real quick. I, like, Zach Neto is an... He's an interesting... That was an interesting move. It smells of desperation. We really need to kind of jumpstart this lineup. They had nothing at that position previously. Um, but he's, he, he has like what, 26 games or something like a, a, a prof- minor league games, very small, small sample. Um, and they're already turning to, to him. Um, I'm not saying it's undeserved. I'm just saying, um, it seems a little premature to me. So regardless, I'm just, I'm just not buying it quite, quite honestly, they still have a pretty awful bullpen. Um, and I have some questions elsewhere, but I don't I'll know, man. You, I, I'll give oh, you a ahead. team. I'll give you a team. Uh, we'll stay positive. Here. There's a lot of negatives out there, right? The, the Cardinals, the negative start, Phillies, negative start. Uh, there's a lot of those kind of hanging out there right now. You kind of called this. We had an awkward conversation about this team in the preview show. Uh, and the Brewers have been destroying people. And they've been doing so with Woodruff out for half of this. Burns is now going to miss, I think, a little bit of time. If not, he'll be limited in what he's doing especially with this contract coming up and that's kind of the conversation right it's it's 
we thought they were going to be able to hang. You thought more of them than I did, but you thought they were going to be able to hang. They might, they might run away with this division at some point over the next couple of months here, uh, based on if the talent continues to go and if Yelich really starts to look like the old, which it, it, there's a chance of that. We're going to have to start talking about a Devin Williams contract and a Corbin Burns contract and a Brandon Woodruff contract and a lot of freaking money for a Milwaukee team that doesn't do this. Um, and if not, it, it's pick and choose, right? Who's the, who's the trade? Who stays? Who goes? Uh, how do you keep this thing afloat? How do you remain in contention? Because it seems like their window of value with these players is starting to close here. So that's a team I'm watching from a construction standpoint because they are winning more ball games than I thought they would out of the gate. And again, I, I think you kind of smelled this one. Yeah, I guess I just, I, I guess like looking at it like a stock, I just wanted to kind of buy low. Um, mm-hmm. Even though I bet I straight up am invested in the Cardinals winning the division uh, quite a bit. I, I think I would even still buy them at the number that they're at. That's how much I believe in them and where they could go. Um, if they can add some pitching or if that well, first of all, the pitching they have needs to get it turned around, but if they can add some major pieces there as well, um, I still like the Cardinals, but the offense is, yeah. is, you know, the, the first, you know, the first half of that lineup is as competitive as any other NL team, in my opinion. And you have two bona fide aces, a really solid bullpen that gets you pretty far in the NL, in my opinion. So, um, not now to your point, Burns has been pretty bad. Woodruff is now hurt to be mm-hmm. determined kind of where that goes. It's going to get tested here. We're going to, we're going to see if this is for real or not, but um, yeah, at least in the early going there, they, uh, you know, uh, they thought that they could surprise some people and, and they've kind of held up their end of the bargain uh, thus far. So yeah, I'm, I'm certainly not buying, buying the brewers right now, but it has sort of played out how I thought that, uh, you know, where the market was previously was too low. All right, let me let me put it this way. I'll finish on this on this statement because I'm with you. I'm still not convinced, right? And maybe they're not either. So, and maybe maybe this little this little injury hiccup here that they're going to have might bring them back down to earth a little bit. Is it more likely that they're selling at the deadline, buying at the deadline, or kind of staying as is at the deadline? Good question. I because there might be value in selling here. Yeah, I mean, I think they have to sell. Um, I mean, at least one of the pitchers is is moving on, in my opinion. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe that gets answered or doesn't. Maybe the answer to that gets solved based on who's healthy or if somebody is hurt or if they're both hurt or something like that, they can't get moved. But, yeah. um, it's, I, I would say, hold leaning towards sellers. Um Okay. I, I don't, they have enough young talent. I don't really think they need to buy um, unless it's just like a super cheap piece. Um, you know, too far away from being a real NL contender though, huh? Too far yeah. Away. In my opinion, in my opinion. Yeah. Like they're, they, they're sort of like rebuilding on the fly. They have some of these nice players, Bryce Terang, Joey mm-hmm. Weimer, um, you know, these guys have broken into the league, had a nice showing, um, but they're not really, in my opinion, they're not the kind of guys to just like immediately keep this, keep them in a contention in contention window. So I think it would be more reasonable for them to sell their aging pieces and kind of rebuild on the fly, working with Bryce Terrain, those kind of guys, um, Garrett Mitchell, et cetera, um, and some pitchers that they have, you know, coming up in the system. So um, I, th- I would put it like that, but I mean, if it, 
they're not going to pull the carpet out from under him if they have a five-game lead, you know, close to the deadline, right? So Yeah, that's what I mean. Definitely a team to watch. All right, man, good stuff. All right, thanks. 